Today's conversation is a really fun one. Today's guest is Katie Welch. She is the CMO of Rare Beauty. If you have heard of Rare Beauty, you might have heard of her. She has been named one of the top marketers by Glossy this past year. And she's also active on TikTok where she dispenses career advice and talks about how people can break into the beauty industry. And that's how I actually first discovered her. And then I learned about Rare Beauty. And so I have been following her for a while. So it was really fun to finally get to have a conversation with her synchronously. And Katie is just really transparent and she helps break down a lot of these concepts around, you know, what is a CMO and what makes a great CMO and what's the difference between brand marketing versus product marketing versus consumer marketing, right? And we also discuss all of that in the context of Rare Beauty. And we talk about how the marketing team is structured and how all these different components of the marketing team under Katie Welch work together at Rare Beauty. So that is a really helpful, I think, glance into just how these functions operate in the context of an actual company. We also, of course, touch on Selena Gomez and what she's like as a leader, why she started this company, what it was like for Katie to first meet Selena. And we finally end with the advice that Katie Welch would give her 22-year-old self because after all, she shares a lot of amazing career advice from somebody who has been a CMO at Hourglass and before that has worked on the agency side as well as with beauty brands, skincare, spa brands, and now is the CMO of one of the beauty brands that I am truly the most bullish on. So it was great to pick her brain. And I hope that I get to do it more. Actually, we discussed going live on TikTok together because I think both of our respective audiences would love that. And there's probably a lot of overlap there. So stay tuned for that. If that's something that you guys would want, let me know. And also, if you guys do enjoy this conversation, please share this with a friend and feel free to suggest topics or guests that you would want me to bring on as well. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Katie Welch. Today we're here with a very special guest, Katie Welch, the CMO of Rare Beauty, who I actually, I have never had a chance to tell you this because we haven't talked one-on-one, but when I first got onto TikTok and I was like, I want to post more substantive, interesting businessy content. And I was looking for examples of that and I couldn't really find many, but you were one of them. And I literally wrote your name down in a notion doc and I watched all your videos and I was like studying what you were doing. And I was like, this is amazing. If she If people are watching her content, maybe they will like my content. So that was actually part of how I got started on TikTok. So thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, making me blush. Thank you. That's so sweet. And that's really kind. Thanks for saying that. Now I'm like, what have I posted? Uh, Well, now you're inspiring me to do 100 days of something. (laughs) Like, what should it be? You've inspired me, though, to do 100 days of TikTok posting. I mean, the TikTok community would love that. So, and I would love that. You know what it is? Once I realized that people were really listening, I really want to make sure that the topics are meaningful or the content is meaningful. And then then that's when you start to second guess like any human of like, well, is that good? I don't know if that's good. Yeah. I have a ton of drafts and like so many years of drafts that my hair has changed. It doesn't even look like me anymore. It has gotten a little blonder. The parts have moved more to the middle. We're going to start to see a hundred days of just Katie with different hair in every video, just different I mean, cuts, different colors. You could just look at like my whole <laughs> Anyway. I mean, the challenge is really good. I was telling you that before we started recording that when you do 100 days, you don't have to think about it. There's no decision of, you know, should I do it? Should I not? But yeah, I I do that too, where I like the more of a following I have, the more I overthink things. But that's, you know, that's- You should do 100 days, something like a book, like Tim Ferriss' Tribe of Mentors vibe, where you like get other experts to do 100 days and then do an analysis and findings of what they found. And that can be your book. 
that's so funny that you say that because one of my friends who I really admire who has a podcast is doing that. And yeah. Is it Danny Miranda? Yes. Oh my God. Wait, well, I, listen, I listened to him and I listened to your podcast with him and maybe I found him through you anyway, but I figured that's it. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. That's so funny that you just guessed that. A lot. Okay. So, so the question that I want to start with is I have so many for you, but what is the CMO Katie Welch and what does the CMO do? Oh my gosh. First of all, it's different in every company. So it's chief marketing officer and you really are the steward of the brand and you protect the brand's look, feel, tone, and manner. It's how the brand connects with your community. It's it's a growth. So there's so many different iterations of what it could be. And I think the path to getting there is so different. It's different for every person. No two paths are the same. No two CMO roles are the same. I've had two chief marketing officer roles. I'm lucky, so lucky to have had that both within beauty. And um, my responsibilities at both were different. I guess I can start with Rare Beauty. What I oversee within the company is brand and product marketing, consumer marketing, which is sort of how you go to market, digital, social, any ad campaigns, any of the campaigns, marketing campaigns, creative, which sort of fuels both of those, brand, product, and consumer, public relations and influencer marketing, copy, and social impact. What's the difference between brand marketing and product marketing? Mm. That's a great question. So brand marketing is what is Rare Beauty? What does it stand for? mission, vision, values. How do we bring that to life? Is there a creative concept, a campaign that we want to do that sort of falls under just the brand umbrella? What does Rare stand for? Brand marketing will often uh, work closely with Rare Impact, which is the, the mission side of the business. Brand marketing will work on, for instance, we did a Hispanic Heritage Month campaign last year. It was really sort of overarching Rare Beauty. That sort of brand, like really brand building type activities, more brand marketing than product marketing is the individual, like that team works quite closely with product development and it's the product positioning of the individual SKUs. So everything from how does it show up on our.com or on Sephora.com from the photos, the tutorials, not just the product stills, but um, the, the swipes, like shade range, so the goop shots kind of product positioning. So what does this product do? What are the ingredients? How do we talk about it? How are we differentiated? Uh, they work closely with PD and copy on the names, like a collection name, the individual SKU name, the, the shade names. So really brand and product is, is such a huge part of bringing that product to Sephora shelves, let's say, or Sephora's site or our own D2C. And then consumer marketing is how do we actually bring this to the community? What is that campaign? What is that go-to-market strategy? And that could be anything. And that's sort of looking at your marketing mix, your consumer journey. How are you showing up with your messaging, working in tandem with brand and product? And then it sort of all starts with brand and product. They will brief in creative. Creative will then come up with the assets for the campaign with Selena. They will brief creative and brand and product. Then let's say brief PR and say, okay, this is the visual. This is the meaning behind the visual. This is the creative concept. Like we just launched our highlighters and, and our under eye brightener. And that concept was all around shining your brightest. And so we had this concept and it was shine your brightest. Really rooted in Selena talking about how when she is sort of feeling at her most confident, she feels like she shines and tying that back to a highlighter, tying that back to this under eye brightener. The product collection is called Positive Light. So really bringing that to life. The brand and product team will come up with that concept, brief our creative team. Then the creative team worked with the photographer and wardrobe and Selena, like, okay, how do we want to see this? And then they came up with this beautiful shot where Selena looks stunning and she's glowing and she's radiant. And she had these really cool SG earrings, which is like, you got to be confident and want to shine your brightest to sort of have that look. And so when you look at the image, those pictures, those visuals, I think just become so iconic. And I think that important relationship between brand and product and creative is so key. Uh, but then also then we have to brief in 
PR. Okay, this is what it stands for. This is what shine your brightest means. This is how it's coming across visually, verbally, et cetera. And then PR has to interpret that for, all right, what's our story that we want to tell in media? How do we want beauty creators to engage with this? How does it come across in the box, in the PR box? What's that thing that's going to make you feel like, yes, like I feel so confident. We just did this event in, in Los Angeles, two days of photo shoots where the Creators can sort of recreate that confident feeling, that shine your brightest feeling from the campaign that Selena did. And it was so great to be on set because people just felt, because sometimes when you get your hair and makeup done, you feel good. And like the energy was super positive and people were shining their brightest. And like, that was exactly the point. Um, Because makeup can be fun and like can be that boost of confidence. So that's how brand and product works with PR and creative and then consumer marketing, the same thing, briefing them in. And then so the social team will interpret, okay, what is that story? How do we talk about that? How do we, uh, how do we bring that to life? So we all work really closely together. And I think that's as a chief marketing officer for a very long-winded answer to your question, what does the chief marketing officer do? It's, it's my role or this role's role to keep the team integrated and make sure that they're talking to one another and working together because especially because we don't have huge advertising budgets and we can't push these messages through. They have to work together and we have to come up with what is that message that's going to break through? How does it break through verbally, visually, et cetera? Because we can't push it the way maybe a a much larger company brand could do. I mean, it's still important when you do have those ad budgets, don't get me wrong, to, to be able to do that. But our sort of visuals and the stuff that we do do has to work a little bit harder because we can't force it on you. The visual that comes to mind is you are the conductor of this orchestra or this like symphony and everything is kind of moving in tandem because you are helping coordinate. I also see the creativity that you guys so clearly have as doing a lot of that heavy lifting because maybe you don't have the same budget as a brand owned by L'Oreal or something. I mean, I think I personally just am a big believer and supporter of creative and being a creative led brand. I don't think all marketers think that way. I I definitely lean more on the art than the science. But even if you are a performance marketer, you really want to lean more into the data. And like, if you don't have that creative, it's still not going to work. So I'm just, I don't know. It's hard. And I do think creative as a skill is so, so important. And it doesn't mean like, I don't know how to do Photoshop. I don't mean traditional creative, but just having that mind, having an open mind of like, okay, what, what does that mean? How do we bring that to life? How can you amplify that? Or sort of, it's kind of where creative meets curiosity meets strategy. You can't be creative just for creative sake. Like you can't just do stuff. I call it tactic soup. Like I think some marketers just get really excited to just do stuff. And then it doesn't always break through. First of all, you can burn out your team. You just do too much. And if it's not meaningful or it's not driving something forward, so that's where the strategy comes through. So like really understanding what your brand stands for or what you're trying to communicate with a certain product, then being creative in like how you bring it to life. And then be curious too. like pay attention to what other industries are doing, what platforms are launching and like, how can you sort of marry all of those things? Okay. You know that this technology is launching. You know that this is what your brand and product stand for, what you're trying to communicate. Okay, then how do you creatively sort of bridge those two things? That's where I think the most magical marketing happens. Not everyone always gets that. Like That's where I think the strongest marketers are personally. Would you say that your time on the agency side, especially in PR as a storyteller, has helped hone these skills? 100%. And I think a few things. I think the type of PR agency I was at, Weber Shandwick, one of the largest uh, communications agencies, PR agencies, we worked on a ton of different brands. It was really about messaging and strategy. And you're usually on an interagency team. So you'll work alongside an ad agency, a digital agency, a shopper marketing agency when it's on some of these bigger CPG companies. And 
with that, you're just exposed to so many different minds and the way you think about things. That was like a little MBA for me, which I think has been really beneficial, especially in the startup environment where you kind of are this orchestra of all these different things because I had that experience. So that's one side of it, of sort of learning how to think that way and think big and thinking about a big idea or thinking about the importance of a brand message and how that can come to life and manifest or move a business forward. But then also marrying that with sort of marketing today, the, the, the landscape has just so fundamentally changed. Obviously, I mean, that goes like, duh, Katie, but it has. I mean, my gosh, it changes every year. Having that ability to think and to storytell that I'm so grateful for having learned at those agencies, I think it really marries with sort of whether it's social media marketing, whether it's you know, everything, everything that we do today, it just, it just works. What's the I'm hardest great. part of your job? Oh, oh, Toma. <laughs> How much time do I have? No, it's, it's not like that. I love, I really honestly love my job. No job is perfect because that would be a little Pollyanna and fake to say, but it's, I think the hard part is people management is tough that I think I can improve on and get better every single day. And I think why that's so important because you have to get people to work together and work well together because it really is a team. It is an orchestra. Like every instrument has a role. And if one instrument is off, you're going to hear it. And that is the hardest part of making sure that, okay, has everyone spoken to everyone? Does everyone understand the project, the brief, the whatever? Are we all on the same page? Does everyone communicate? Because you're, you're moving so fast. Like, like right now we're launching spring 20, what are we in 2023? That just launched. Mm -hmm. So we're still in the midst of like launching new, it's launched on Sephora.com, but I don't believe it's on Sephora front of store merchandising, but it's not on our gondola yet. So we're still like launching this product. At the same time, gearing up to launch something later in the year, gearing up for on the creative later, later in the year. I mean, today I had a, I had a call on 2025. So it's like your brain is just splintered in so many directions. And so how can you think about all those directions and then making sure each of these teams are on the right path within the sort of plan? So that's definitely the hardest part. And then making sure people are happy. I'm not a very good micromanager. But when you have all this stuff happening and wheels in motion, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part of being a boss in any, I mean, you don't have to be the chief marketing officer. You can be the head of sales, head of HR, head of finance, anything. That is the hardest part. But also the most rewarding, someone on my team just got promoted. We were crying. We were so happy. I was so happy. Like anything in life with work, it's just super rewarding, but it's hard. I, I talked to a lot of founders because before becoming a creator, I was running a community of 2000 women who are all direct consumer and e-commerce founders of different stages. I would ask everybody, what do you need? What are your biggest challenges? For the earlier stage people, pre-launch, just post-launch, early stage, yes. they would all say marketing, acquisition, how do I grow? For later stage, they would all say people. People are the hardest. And I still hear that when I talk to my founders who are, you know, my friends who are yes. tech founders, like people are hard. And yeah. hard, not in a bad way, hard in a way that you, you just want everyone to feel like they're contributing. You want everyone to feel like they value their job, like that they have a career path. And honestly, it feels like the early stage founders should be thinking about that too, because you want these people to help grow your business. It's always all about the people. I don't know if you have the right people and everyone doing their job and doing what they're supposed to, the growth should come. It always comes back to people. So yeah, yeah just making sure people feel seen, heard, respected, engaged, and that they understand their job and their deliverables. That's the other thing. Like you could be like a really nice boss and comfort everyone and make sure everyone's having fun. But it's not about having a food stable in the kitchen. It's about making sure that people understand the role that at the end of the day, people want to contribute and feel like they're making a difference. Otherwise, why are they coming to this job? At least that's my feeling. And so just really understanding it, it doesn't matter what role. You could be entry level coordinator. 
there's a reason why you have that job. You could be doing the most entry-level sort of task and you could think like, why am I sorting the media list or like doing copies? I don't know. I don't know, whatever the task may be. I, I went to college, but it's like, but if you stop and you explain to them, okay, these are the copies that you're making and this is why, and this is what it's going to do. And this is sort of your place in the orchestra. And this is why you're, what was the tiny flute? The piccolo? <laughs> this is why you are still such an important role playing this tiny flute. Yeah, you may not be the, you know, my orchestral knowledge is not that deep, but you still have a very important role. And so the hard part about being the boss is understanding that, understanding how to make sure everyone feels okay and knows their deliverables and knows the vision, but then you still got to do the work. So you still have to set the vision. And like, usually that's probably what you prefer to do anyway. And sometimes it's hard to like, let that creative stuff go and say to your team, all right, you, you can do it. And they can, if you have given them the resources or the fundamentals, they can. At the same time, you guys have such a compelling mission and you have truly excellent products that I love that everybody seems to universally love. I have to tell you, Katie, I've talked about a lot of brands on TikTok. No other brand has had such universally positive feedback in my comments. And so you have a lot. <laughs> I'm so grateful and it's so nice, but it's truly a team effort. This is the first company I've worked with you know, many teams, many brands. This is truly a team effort. And that's so in Selena's vision. Like she really, she trusts the people who she hired. She works closely with all of us, but everyone can contribute. And that's what's so different. And I think it was really shocking for me when I first started because then I joined the brand because I thought, oh my God, Selena's so wonderful and so magical. And like, I can help her start a brand. When in your career can you start something from scratch, let alone with Selena? And she wants to build this purpose and this mission. Like it was just a no brainer. But it was the first time I remember joining and I'm like, oh, we really work so closely together. And I'm sort of used to just being like, okay, run with it. Whatever your idea is, go with it. But it's not like that here. I work so closely with our head of product development, head of sales, head of digital, head of finance, everyone. It's a team and, and their team. So I hope that that's part of contributing to the success. And that's definitely Selena's attitude. And that's her vibe. She's just a, a collaborator. I know people say that you can't always tell what's going on behind the scenes of these companies and these teams. But I really like to think that you can tell that Selena is genuinely involved and dedicated yeah. and cares and wants to make it collaborative. And yeah. she seems to be actively involved in a way that I don't see with a lot of other brands that have some sort of talent attached to them. And so let's talk about that because I think yeah. a lot of people are curious about that part. I talk a lot about talent-led brands. And yeah. I think in the cases where there's a missed opportunity is when there's sort of like a name or face slapped onto the brand, but they're not that involved and people can kind of tell. And the team is maybe not sort of this robust team built from scratch that has all this industry experience. It's more like, you know, they're spun out or incubated among a bunch of other brands. Yeah. In the best case scenario, there is a truly great, in this case, a beauty brand that happens to have spun out of the creativity of amazing talent who has broad distribution. And so you guys have really nailed that playbook. I mean, there's not really a playbook, but you guys have nailed that. How have you guys developed your philosophy around how to work with Selena as talent and mm -hmm. what the best approach is around that? And what do you guys think you do differently? Oh God, I, as far as what we do, I don't know what other people do. So I don't know what we do differently. I just know we, it's almost like we trust our gut. We trust Selena. She's the founder and creator. And it's truly, everything is done through her lens and really getting to know her and understanding what's important to her. I remember when the first time I met her and I said, why do you want to create a beauty brand? And she said, I, I want to create a place where 
I think she said a lane. I want to create a lane where people feel welcome. And there's something about that word. There's so many wonderful things about the beauty industry. Welcome isn't always a word that brands embody. Like come sit at our table and not like a mean girls can't sit with us. <laughs> and when she said that, and then as I have gotten to know her more and more, but certainly back then when I got to know her, I mean, this is 2019, man, that is what she does. She has this superpower. She just like sees people. She hears them. She feels like she connects. That is her superpower, how she can connect with people. She's just incredibly kind and it just feels incredibly real. And so the way people throw around like authenticity, you have to be authentic as a brand. But truly, like how do we then take her superpower, like who she is as this person who who sees and hears and values people and cares and wants people to feel welcome and safe? How do you do that as a brand? And so we kind of look through that lens in everything that we do. And everyone understands that. Everyone sort of feels that. Everyone has had that meeting. Like we, we all know Selena. We all know what's important to her, you know, whether it's PD, they work closely on sort of obviously the product pipeline or creative on sort of what's the vision of the visuals that she wants to bring this to life. I mean, I think you could say this with any sort of founder-led brand, not to steal from Simon Sinek, but it is. It's start with why. What's your why? But but you got to really understand what that why is and what that means for your brand. And I think that's kind of back to our earlier conversation of understanding the strategy or the creativity and the curiosity is, okay, so if that's what we stand for, how do you really bring that to life? What is that feeling? How can that be functional? And how can that be emotional? And how do you make that connection with your community? There is no playbook. It's the art. It's understanding sort of the art of your founder, bringing that to life. Yeah. Again, that could be any founder. It doesn't yeah. need to be Selena Gomez. I just am lucky to be able to work for such an incredible human being. And she's a real deal. Yeah. I believe that. Funny. She's funny. She's kind. That's, yeah. that's really beautiful. This is really, really beautiful to hear. I mean, I already feel good about supporting the brand because I genuinely love the products, but I'm also somebody, you know, I get a lot of beauty products now and I find myself extra excited to use the products in the morning when I'm doing my makeup, my skincare, when I've met the founders and I really love the team. I'm like, I feel really good about this. This just feels like I'm putting good juju on my face, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. We we think about that back to your brand and product marketing. Like we think about too, like we think about the shade names and because those are all little reminders or that if the products can make you feel good, like she also wanted it to not be intimidating. So like a lot of our products are really easy to use. You can use with your fingers. You can mess up and it's fine. One of the hard parts about building this brand was that we did it in 2020. So obviously there was no playbook for that. And all of the traditional marketing techniques or things, tactics that I would have to do that we would do, couldn't do. I had like five photo shoots planned from March to whenever, (laughs) the summer. Because you need, if you think about Sephora in store, sephora.com, your own website, there's a lot of assets. Oh, that was the one thing your previous guest said she would do like one photo shoot, what, three days and get like three years of content. No, no way. No way. Yeah. First of all, there'll be content fatigue. You can tell. You can tell if it all comes out of one day. Trends change. Moods change. The ways you want to storytell to your brain. Like you just, that. That's not ideal. I just don't don't think it's real. But uh, I guess you could, but I don't think it would be. I mean, I see how being more responsive to how things evolve is more ideal. I think in those cases, those are, they barely have an opportunity with the talent, you know? So they're like, how do I? But then that means your foundations are already kind of shaky. Yeah. (laughs) but maybe that shouldn't anyway yeah. that's another podcast. but anyway so back to hopefully why it makes you feel good not only do a percentage of, of our sales go to the rare impact fund the products are easy to use the names are hopefully like positive rare reminders 
of something good. But then a lot of our content, when we were in quarantine, thinking about how the heck are we going to come up with all this to fill Sephora.com? I mean, there's a lot that's required. We launched a full collection of color cosmetics. You need things to educate people when they go to rarebeauty.com to figure out if you want to buy the product. Traditionally, you do like a traditional shoot, you got Selena Gomez, you go to Milk Studios, do a real photo shoot. And suddenly we couldn't do any of that. Like I couldn't bring, you couldn't bring people together in a photo shoot setting. So we took her iPhone and duct tape it to her mirror in her bedroom. And she created tutorials all herself. Her grandpa was like walking in the, like Papa was in the background of one. And she's like, oh my God, she starts laughing. You know, she's doing an eyeliner. Does she make a little mistake? But it's also real that we were like, you know what? It's almost this perfect. Actually. You really put on makeup, you know, and there's yeah. no professional lighting. There was no professional makeup. Like it was Selena putting on makeup in her bedroom, just the way your eye would do it. I don't know. I think there's something cool about that because it was quite real and it's the way you do it. And so, so I guess when you look at those assets, you thought, oh, okay, I, I can do that too. How do you balance having Oof. Selena? <laughs> You're like, oh no. <laughs> You're like, I don't like that word. <laughs> How do you? <laughs> well, how do you think about incorporating Selena into the creative and the assets and the marketing versus also incorporating other creators maybe or just content that doesn't have Selena because obviously she's a tremendous asset and she's the core of the team. But at the same time, the business is not just right. Selena Inc. selling you Selena right. in a bottle. No, 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 not at all. And so how do you balance that tactically as far as content and creative? For sure. Yeah. With every product launch, we'll shoot content, create content, whether it's video, stills, swatching. For instance, our mascara, we developed this because when Selena and Joyce, Joyce is our head of product development, were talking about mascaras. They talked about it. They're like, you know, it's finding a perfect mascara is personal as finding a foundation. And it was interesting. And then we were Googling like perfect eyelashes and you look on the images page and it's just rows and rows of like unattainable lashes. And it's all the same eye. And you're like, that's not real. Like that's who, and then I, I think at one point I was like, who says, and then we all laughed because obviously it's her song who says, but it's true. It's like, who says that's the perfect definition of lashes. And so as we looked at it, we thought, gosh, you know, there's not just one type of lash. There's all these different types of eyelashes. So Joyce developed and Selena were like, is there a way to figure out where we can find one that works for as many different types of lashes as possible? And they, and they did. And, and they found this mascara, they created this mascara that we also did testing on different lash types to then tell that story. So we have claims against those lash types and you're able to tell it. So with, so for example, with that mascara, the hero image that went on the gondola was Selena, but my goodness, there were so many other supporting model images because we needed to tell that story. And you say the same thing with foundation. We have 48 shades of foundation. We have to, especially if you're shopping on Sephora.com, you'd like to find the person who maybe the most looks like you. And then you can try to see if that helps you in your search for your foundation shade. That one was tough because we launched with foundation in September of 2020. You need to get your assets to Sephora a couple months before peak COVID. They kept asking me every week, Katie, where are the assets? And I'm like, I I can't get 48 people in a photo shoot. Like it's the world has closed every week. We would have, where are the assets? I'm like, I'm working on it. I just didn't know. And I would hang up the phone and then my team at sales, everyone was like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I I don't know. But what we ended up doing is that we found people and we sent them all a primer, a concealer, and a foundation. And we found 48 individuals. They all had to have a certain iPhone because that was the only way to at least eliminate any sort of barrier of like artistic because it was obviously it wasn't a professional photo shoot. And they all had to stand in front of a white wall and they took a selfie. So our foundation images are really 
that's really what the foundation looks like because they did it themselves. It wasn't professional lighting, a photographer. Nope. Couldn't do that because we were in COVID. So anyway, it's been the wildest thing building a brand in COVID. You're, you know, a problem solver as much as you are all the other parts of your, like you're putting out fires, you're finding creative solutions, you're cracking the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. That's startup life. Definitely. As a CMO, are there other CMOs that you regularly talk to or mentor you? How do you keep up and how do you learn? Jeremy Lowenstein from Milani. I'm friends with Charlotte Watson at Olaplex. Uh, Rachel Weber, who's the CMO of Playboy, is a very close friend of mine. Who are my other CMO friends? uh, Oh, gosh. Tressie was one of my closest friends. Tressie Lieberman, who is head of marketing, digital and off-premise marketing at Chipotle. It's good. I don't know. you, You can always ask people stuff. What do you ask them? What do you guys talk about? I'm so curious about this little WhatsApp group of CMOs. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Oh, God. All sorts of things. A lot of times like hiring. Oh, Tiffany Carter, who is the head of marketing at Thrive Cosmetics, is a good friend. The list goes on. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone and I'll feel badly. Uh, anything. Anything. Um, what are you, you going to do with Web3? Oh, my yeah. God. Dina Piero. She's at NARS. I've known her for years. Or not NARS. She just got promoted. She's like overseeing all Web3 for the metaverse for Shiseido. A lot of times it's people. Um, a lot of times it's platforms, people, platforms. And then sometimes it's just good to have friends. I don't know. We just chat about anything. Yeah. I'm going to dinner actually with Jeremy and Charlotte soon. Musa, Musa Tariq. Anyway. You were referencing earlier how the landscape has changed so much. It changes year to year. All these platforms, yeah. what's going to happen to this platform and that platform and yeah. how do you, what are the best practices for working with creators? How do you stay on top of all that? I'm just a big consumer of stuff, yeah. of content. I always have been. I read everything, have an eyeball on everything, Twitter, newsletter, Substack. What Substacks do you like? I'm trying to get more into Substack because I want to. school. I got to pull it up. Um, why is this interesting? There's a lot. I always have something going. Yeah. I, it's a mix. A mix of nothing. Like I need to have mornings where it's like a walk and there's no content so my brain can think because I think we don't have brain time anymore. And when I'm in the car, LA, we drive so much. Like I probably won't return your email because I can't because I'm driving, but I will listen to your podcast. That's where I'm not good is correspondence because I'm always like otherwise engaged. Whereas when I lived in New York, I was on a subway or in the back of a taxi. Like it was a little easier, but I consume a lot. I read in the morning, I walk in the morning and I drive and I consume content. Do you feel more creative in LA versus New York? Do you feel Ooh, any different? Great question. What do these different cities bring out in you? And I say this having just spent the last four years in LA and I've been spending a lot of time in New York. Yeah. You know, okay, like anything, it's who do you surround yourself with? In New York, first of all, I was there for a very long time, from like 99 to 2015. I have a very good group of friends in New York, most of whom are in media, startups. And so our conversations would often revolve around what's happening in the world, technology, social, startups, marketing, et cetera. My friends in LA more marketing friends, actually. So it's a little bit more the conversations around the day-to-day, which is interesting. Maybe not as entrenched in sort of the startup and marketing and media landscape. So am I creative? I don't know. It's interesting. I will say, I think I'm creative in both. There was something about leaving New York, though, and you kind of realize there's a, the rest of the world exists. When New York becomes so insular, and it is the center of the world, but you, you live and breathe only that. Everything from a marketing plan of like, oh, let's do a subway takeover. Like, okay, you're going to spend $100,000, $200,000 in the subway takeover. How are you going to market to the rest of the country? <laughs> Once a founder told me that she didn't think she could have launched her brand in New York because she would have been so 
looking over her shoulder at what everyone else is doing because all of the beauty brands at that time were all in New York. But because she was on the West Coast, it was a little bit easier to not have that vision and just be focused on herself and focus on her own brand, which I thought always made a lot of sense. Where do you get inspiration as a CMO that is outside of beauty? Or do you get inspiration outside of beauty? Oh, yeah. My personal passion is art. Anything, any gallery, museum, reading, like that's where I love to spend time. So sometimes there, um, technology, other brands, other industries rather, not just other brands, comes from everywhere. That's why the curiosity is important, of course, but it's understanding your brand and sort of strategically then applying. Like we have not done a Web3 activation. We didn't do an NFT activation. I understood it. I paid attention. I have katiewelch.eth, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I didn't think it was right for us just yet to dive in. Doesn't mean it's wrong for other brands. So you need to have both. You have to understand what your brand stands for. It's when you do have those creative ideas, because you've been so curious, making sure that it makes sense for the brand. I guess also in a way, it's always kind of keeping you on your toes and it's always challenging in that way, right? Creatively speaking, because your role by definition cannot stay static. No, that's my fear. Like what keeps me up at night is not being able to keep up with everything that's happening in the world. TikTok. <laughs> Wait, let's talk about that. I want to talk about what inspired you to go on TikTok and what you have learned and if there have been any so surprising much. learnings. So much. So, so, so much. I love it so I love TikTok so much. I should do it more. I haven't in the last few weeks. Anyway, what inspired me? Uh, we were hiring. We were hiring for Rare Beauty in 2019 when I started. I didn't know any Gen Z or I didn't know any entry level people. And it, it, it just sort of, it made me think a lot about how I started my career or how I found out about beauty. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm not from either of the coasts. I didn't know anyone. But when I was in college, I met one individual who was an executive at Estee Lauder. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, that's a job? You can do that? That's a career path? And the game was changed. But just because I saw that one person, I was so inspired to be like, I want to be like her. That's it. And I thought, huh, interesting. Like, what can I do to give back? I was interviewing people. I wanted to know more. Like, I wanted to meet new people, Gen Z. Like, I I just wanted to know more. And then I was on TikTok, of course. As a marketer, you should pay attention to where people's attention goes. And I was seeing how my own personal attention was spending so much time on this app. And I thought, I need to figure out how this works. I also didn't want to be the boss that was like, "Mm, I don't think that's going to work on TikTok. Like, they would be like, you don't know, lady. You know, you learned so much. So it was like a mix of all of that, of like wanting to learn TikTok wanting to pay it forward and like help people with their career path. Cause all of a sudden I was like, gosh, I kind of got a little sentimental. Like if I hadn't met that woman, I wouldn't be here. And so saying, okay, could I do that for other people? And wanting to do something with my time, you know? And I thought, well, that'd be cool. I just thought, well, what the hell, let's just try it. And lo and behold, it sort of took off. And it's been really fun. What's been surprising is the community aspect of everything and how kind people are. I mean, every once in a while, there'll be a little bit of a weirdo on live. Don't get me wrong. But for the most part, the community aspect has been really fun. Oh gosh. Well, the most meaningful has been just, I get emails and notes and DMs of people saying, I got a job. Thank you. That like just, it makes your day. I haven't done them as much anymore. I have to be honest, but I did them early COVID. I just did a lot of Zoom sessions with people and just to watch, like we would talk about the resume or different career paths because no one teaches you that stuff. Like you don't know that, great, you like math? Let's talk about the finance career path or you want to do operations or planning or HR. Like if you like beauty, you don't have to be a makeup artist or you don't have to just work in social media. There's so many things you could do where you could totally succeed because of where your strengths lie. So I was sort of mentoring, not really mentoring, it was like a half an hour meeting, so meeting, uh, but just watching like stress kind of melt. I remember there's this one woman, we were looking at her resume 
And she was like, I don't know. Did she work at Ulta or Sephora? She worked at one of the retailers. I don't know. I just work at Ulta or I just work at Sephora. And I was like, hold up, sister. Like, guess what? P.S. You work in beauty. Let's talk about like what you're learning. Working in retail, you understand artistry and education. You understand events. You understand brand building, visual merchandising, retail marketing, sampling. Like, let me explain in your day. Let me talk about all the career paths, like all the things that you engage with. And she was like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, yep. So guess what? You work in marketing. Let's talk about then how you can frame that when you go into your interview for XYZ coordinator. Fast forward, she now works at Makeup Forever. And she was a college student at Arizona State University. So it's freaking awesome. And that makes you feel good. Because like, what am I doing this for? Like I can sell lipsticks all day long, but if you can't help people somehow, then like life gets pretty dull. So, and I think the other thing is like, there's so much pressure. Everyone thinks their first job has to be it, but it's not. And I get it. I get it. I get that feeling. Cause I'm sure I felt the same way. Man, you got a lot of work in years ahead of you. So like you can kind of figure stuff out. You got time. I know we're up against time, speaking of time, and I want to be mindful of yours. So I actually think that's a perfect way to, I have so many questions. Maybe we should go on live sometime on TikTok and then we can continue. I feel like people would love that. Favorite thing to do. Let's do it. Every time I do it, I feel good. And I'm like, why don't I do that more? So if you and I were to go live, then do videos. It's so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like our communities would love that. But just for the sake of this particular podcast interview, The question I want to end with is actually, what were you doing at 22 and what do you wish you knew back then? Oh God. I was living in New York City. I was in the assistant, no, I was in the buyer training program for Macy's. I had interviewed my senior year spring break. I went to New York and I interviewed for a bunch of different jobs and I really wanted to be a cosmetics buyer. I didn't know why, because I like makeup, honestly, just because I liked makeup. Well, I was in the luggage and frames department, so I was not in makeup. And I kept asking and they would not put me in there, but it was fine. So yeah, so at 22, I was working as an assistant buyer. Then I went into learning planning and allocation within luggage and frames at Macy's, only moderately glamorous, but what a good job. Like I didn't, I was an English major in college. So I was able to learn all of sort of retail math and understand the business of retail. And it was a great job and I didn't know what was ahead. And I was just sort of enjoying my twenties. And I definitely was thinking maybe this wasn't the right job. And I went to Victoria's Secret shortly thereafter. So probably by 23, I already already had changed jobs. I don't know. I was probably a little lost, to be honest. I think your twenties are tough. It wasn't until my late twenties where I kind of found my groove because you you need your twenties to try these jobs. You need to figure out, you need time and experience to figure out what you're good at. Cause they don't really teach you those sort of stuff in school. Because what you're good at, you're going to like to do. You got to find that groove. You have this moment when you're in your early 20s to sort of just watch what's happening all around you. Build rapport with people. Build those relationships. Start to understand if you want to work in corporate America. Okay, looking at those above you, I'm like, do I want that sort of job? Do I think I'd be good at that? Do I want to try that? How can I? You start to build those sort of fundamentals or that foundation for your career, but you don't realize it at the time. So there's frustrating days because you're doing bullshit work because you're the most junior person on the team. But in hindsight, now when you get to my level, you realize how important it is. That's why it's important to have bosses who explain to you what you're doing and why your seemingly bullshit work is actually quite important. But you don't know that. So it's hard. It's confusing, but it's fun. Okay. So that's the hard part because it's confusing. You don't know what's happening. You don't want, you, you want answers. You want things that are definite, but your twenties are far from definite. Like things are, you just figuring you're getting your sea legs for the rest of your life. But so on the flip side of that, you're having fun, I hope. And you have friends and you can go out and you can probably have more than one glass of wine, which I can barely have and like enjoy your life. 
because you really have so much more to work. <laughs> like, I think you just, man, this is a long-winded answer, but you just got to give yourself grace yeah. to figure it out. Not only does it not have to happen all at once immediately, it's not going to. So just enjoy the journey and trust in the journey and start to figure out the stuff that you need and that you like to like fuel you and to get you into that flow state. That's such a beautiful way to end this. This was so much fun, Katie oh, Walsh. Good. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. This is so fun. I agree. Where can people yeah. find you on the internet? I'm at Katie Welch uh, everywhere. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Awesome. All right. Thank you. And have an amazing weekend. Thank you. Thank you. You too.